So when I was in my early 30s, it was like the busiest season of my life. You know, thousands of people coming to the church, I had a few kids, and my life was just busy. And I, I just felt like, ah, but everything in me wants to get away and be with God. Because I've never been on a trip where it's just me and Jesus. So I went out into the woods for four days, just alone with him. I didn't talk to another human being. I didn't see another human being. It was just me and God talking and reading his word. And I'm telling you, it changed my life. It really did. And I got to this passage in Jeremiah chapter 1. The first day, my Bible just kind of opened up to Jeremiah 1. And I, when I got to verse 5, I was just blown away by it. Because it says some things that I had never heard before. Where God looks at Jeremiah and said, Before I created you, I knew you. Man, I remember the first time I read that, I'm like, wait, before he made me, he knew me? And then he says to Jeremiah, before you came out of your mother's womb, I consecrated you and I determined that you would be a prophet to the nations. I appointed you a prophet before you came out of your mother's womb. The reason why that's such a big deal is I start thinking, God, is this true of me? Did you seriously know that you were going to make me and that you have things for me to do. Like he made Jeremiah because he knew there were things that needed to be done on the earth that he was going to need in 30, 40, 50 years. So I'm going to make this person for that task. It's like in Ephesians 2 when he says we are his workmanship and we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he determined beforehand that we should walk in them. I remember when I first got that, I'm going, no way. So God, you knew what you were doing when you made me. And, and you knew that, that, that there were things on the earth that needed to get done. And that's why you made me. And you made me for those things. This is such an important truth for us right now. That means that God knew that you and I would be in Hong Kong right now during the time of the protest, during the time of the pandemic. And he says, there's something you're supposed to do. I made you for this time. Do you believe that about yourself? Because I'm telling you, I started to forget these truths. I started listening to what other people say about me and what I think about myself rather than what God says in his word about me. That I'm not destined to this average life and just, just kind of survive this time, just get through. He goes, no, I made you for, for something so special. It's like when Moses was like, whoa, but I don't speak well. And God says, who made your mouth? I made your mouth. You're saying I messed up when I made your mouth? We can all look at ourselves and think about all the things we can't do well. And God says, no, I put you here at this time. Man, sometimes we have like this disconnect where we read the Bible and we go, oh, isn't the story of Esther so awesome? Or she just goes, I think I was made for such a time as this. We go, yeah, Esther. But then we don't believe it about ourselves. We don't believe. Wait, I was made for this time. You guys, we have to believe these things. Jesus did not die on the cross so that you and I could live ordinary lives. 
he died so that my soul could be cleansed, so that my body could become completely clean, so that his Holy Spirit would enter into me. And just like I wouldn't dare ever refer to Jesus as just an ordinary guy. None of us would. Are you kidding me? He was a man and somehow he was God all at once. You can't call him ordinary. But don't you understand? That's what he's saying about us now. Like right now you're looking at a person who is not just a person. Somehow God is in me and there's a sense in which I am like God and man all at once. His spirit dwells inside of me. It makes no sense then if my life resembles a person who does not have the Holy Spirit in them. Look at your life now. Is it ordinary? You guys, we have to be careful of this because in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, it says, my righteous one shall live by faith. And listen to this, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Oh, I hate that phrase. God says, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. God, that is the last thing I would want. You guys... It, it, it makes me think about uh, the 12 spies in Exodus. Remember how, how they're, they're sent into the promised land, the, the, the promised land where God says, I promise you, this is your inheritance. And you got Joshua and Caleb, they come back and go, man, the place was amazing. But then the other 10 spies, they said, there's no way. There is no way we can pull this off. Think about it. These guys were huge, and there were so many of them. We're not just going to walk in and take over their land. See, they started reasoning. They started using their own logic and going, wow, look at them, look at us. This isn't going to work. And remember, God gets furious with them. And he says, every one of you are going to die in the wilderness now. Because you didn't believe my word. I told you, with me, you could do this. And you didn't believe me, so all of you will die, except Joshua and Caleb. They're going to the promised land with me. Man, I read that story and I, I just look at my life. I go, God, I don't want to be one that trusts my own logic over what you have said in your word. I want to believe this. Man, remember what Jesus promised. Jesus promised. He says, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell won't stand against us. He promised that one day he would build a church that was so united where their love was going to be off the charts like what no one had ever seen and that they would do these miracles, these supernatural things. Man, and, and that's exactly what happened. Man, you read the, the, about the church in Acts 2 and Acts 4 and it talks about how they were of one mind, one heart, one spirit because all the people Man, they didn't consider, not a single one of them considered their own possessions their own. Like, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. No, they go, no, they, whatever. Whoever had a need, they would take care of it. And it says there was not a single needy person among them. Because whenever someone needed something, someone would sell and give it to them. And they walked around with this 
fearlessness, this boldness. And, and it says that miracles began to happen and everyone, everyone was feeling a sense of awe. Now, many of us, we read that passage and go, man, I wish I could live in that church. I, I, I believe that could happen today. There's, and then there's others that go, well, that can't happen. That was just for that time. But I don't even want to get into that right now. My bigger concern is that there are people who don't want that to happen today. Honestly, do you really want to be a part of that kind of church? Where you are so intimately woven with others in your family and you look at all your possessions and go, I could care less about this stuff. I care about you. I care about the mission. Because there's so many people who go, well, I really don't want to share my stuff with everyone. I kind of like having my own stuff. I like having privacy. And also in that early church, I read about suffering and I am not going to suffer. And there have been people like this all through the centuries that don't want to suffer for following Christ. They don't want the commitment that Christ calls them to. They really don't want to live like that first New Testament church. And that's why by the time the church was passed on to our generation, it morphed into, oh, church is a place you go to. It's a building for an hour a week. You sing three songs, you listen to a message, you go home and come back the next week. And many of us would read this book and go, that, that doesn't make any sense. That's not what I seen here. But it was almost like, what do we do? We can't change these last few hundred years. I mean, this is, this is what people think of church now. You can't just tell people, hey, stop gathering and calling that church. So I'm just going to a building for a week and calling it. No one's going to believe us. How could we change things? And then the virus hit. And then this time of isolation happened. And suddenly people are starting to think. And we have a decision to make right now. See, some are thinking, wow, this is even better. I can sit in my living room and watch it on screen. So let's just reduce church even more. Now it's not even an hour in a building. Now I can just watch it on my computer and go further from what God says his church was meant to be. But then there's others of us. Man, I've talked to so many people, especially in Hong Kong, that, that are so sad about those who are dying with this pandemic, but they're so excited about what's happening in the church because they're going, I think God's taking us on a journey. I think that he's going to use this time so that we actually think through what does it mean to be the church. And when this, when this uh, isolation period is done, I don't want to just run back to Egypt. I don't want to go back to that controlled environment. I think God's leading us to something new. Man, it, it, it's, like, it's like Christ wants to take us on this journey to new places, experience new things. And others are like, well, I want to stay close to my neighborhood, though. Can I just, you know, keep it around here? Or, or Jesus, can't we just get a couple of treadmills in my house where I can turn on the air conditioning and there's no danger? And we just run together and have a, a conversation for the rest of my life till I die? And God say, man, come with me. I'm taking the church somewhere. Man, we have this window of opportunity. And I really believe that Hong Kong has an opportunity to be an example to the church and the rest of the world. The reason why I say that is, 
Hong Kong people should know of all the people on the earth that we as a church cannot, we don't, have, we don't even have the option of going back to the way it was because we're changing and our future in some ways is set. We just don't know how, how long we have. And we know the church has to change. We know there needs to be a more resilient form of his church that will make it through anything. Man, this, this isolation period shows us how unprepared we were. I mean, imagine if we didn't have the internet. And what would we even do? This is our time for leaders to start equipping people so that they can survive in any context. And we can set the example of this to where even if we're not allowed to gather ever again, it's okay because we've been equipped and we know the Word of God and we know how to make disciples and we know how to gather our friends together and break bread and experience the presence of God and love it, love it, love it. Man, isn't there a part of you that knows your life has looked too normal? Man, I just want to challenge you right now before you even have the opportunity to make things normal again. I challenge you to truly get into the presence of Almighty God. Don't just close your eyes and pray some token prayer. I mean, really come into the presence of God and say to Him, God, I believe. I believe you made me for this time. And my life has looked way too ordinary, way too much like people who don't have your Holy Spirit in them. And that has to change. And I believe your church is destined for something so much greater. And you want to use me. And you made me for this. So speak to me now, God. Show me what you want me to do this week, this day, in this season. Because I was made for this. And I am not going back to Egypt. I am not going back to a normal life. 